Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, Chief of Staff turned Executive Leadership Coach. In this series, we dive into the role of Chief of Staff, exploring how it can be a game changer and pivotal player on your leadership team. You'll get a backstage pass and learn about the different aspects of the role and what it takes to excel in it. We'll hear from some incredible guests who have firsthand experience serving as chief of staff or collaborating with one on their team. And don't forget, the chief of staff isn't just a title of person, it represents a leadership philosophy. Leveraging leadership is all about finding your points of greatest influence and leveraging them to better serve those around you. Welcome back to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. We are continuing our Chief of Staff series, and I am so happy to be joined by, by our guest, Natalie Cron. She is a two-time Chief of Staff, which we'll get into in a little bit, and she's currently at Johns Hopkins. So, Natalie, thank you so much for, for being on. How's your week going so far? Hey, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. It's going well. Um going well for Monday. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Excited to have you. So get us ca- caught up a little bit. So tell us about your background and and maybe start with where, where'd you grow up? Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Indiana. I'm in Bloomington. Uh, so if you're uh, familiar with IU basketball, that's the heart of Indiana Hoosiers. So uh, born and raised there. I did move away a little bit uh, for a couple years when I went to grad school. And then after that came back in uh, Indiana's home. So, so a little bit about a background for myself. I actually started my career in social work. I got my bachelor's and master's both in social work with a focus in geriatrics. Uh, that led to me. I started out my career actually working at the Alzheimer's Association, which I loved. And then from there, I ended up getting a really great opportunity at a geriatric care management company and was there for about three years. And did a lot of content creation, getting ready for geriatric care managers to go into the field and kind of have those active care plans with with their clients. And unfortunately, after about three years, that company ceased. So I ended up getting into some IT consulting. One of the leaders that was at that company ended up going to a different company and had reached back out to me and said, hey, I've got this opportunity. Do you want to uh, come work with me again? And it, it it ended up being great. I thought, oh, this is a little out of my wheelhouse, but I'm going to try it. So so I did some consulting for a few years and found that I really missed the the healthcare side of things. But that's really where my role kind of switched from social work into more of what I call like morphed into project management. And so so I decided, you know what, I really miss healthcare. And so then from there, I got a job working at a biopharmaceutical manufacturing company, Catalan, if you're familiar with that. So I worked there for a couple of years, uh, about three years as a project manager. And then I, I went to a uh, another company, Magellan Health, and that's where my role kind of really expanded into this chief of staff. So I was I started there as a senior project manager, worked there for a couple of years. My leader at the time, who I actually am privileged to work with again today, she got promoted in her role. So she was adding, taking on more responsibility, additional scope. And she basically was like, hey, are you interested in expanding your role into more of a strategic type role instead of just project management type work? And so me, I'm always up for learning new things and trying new things. And so I said, sure, I'll, let's let's try it out, adding more tools to my tool belt. So that was, gosh, 
four, three years ago when when that happened. And so that's where my role kind of really kind of morphed from that project management more to that strategic chief of staff type role. And then about a year and a half ago, I got the job that I'm in now at Johns Hopkins Health Plans. And I'm actually supporting my leader, uh, the same one that I had at my previous company. So her and I work great together. And yeah, she's just a phenomenal leader. I'm really, really lucky to have to work with her. So you worked with her twice at two different companies. And it sounds like you're in kind of the project management world. And she noticed something and said, hey, do you want to take a more strategic role? So just for that first instance of chief of staff and that first transition, what caught her attention or did you know her before? How did that role, was that the very first role the company had as chief of staff? Great. Yeah, great questions. So no, I I did not know her before. We just, it was one of those relationships. We just worked really well together. She's a very visionary leader. And I think what she, what she saw in me, my organizational skills, my communication, just being able to connect with others and build that rapport and I think just that combination of being able to execute out on a lot of those things that she kind of set her vision for at that company, I was kind of her right hand and was able to really execute out on that. Yeah. And then so and t- walk me through the transition between the two chiefs of staff roles. So did your leader go first and then say, hey, I'm, I'm at this new company and do you want to be my chief of staff here? Or how did that come about? Yeah, that's a great question. So she did leave first. I was I was sad. So she she went found I got a great opportunity at Johns Hopkins, and so we were apart for oh about a year and a half actually, and we okay. stayed in contact. We would have monthly yeah. coffee chats, and we just we ended up developing a really great friendship as well. So we stayed in contact, and yeah, she reached back out to me and was like, hey, I I really need you. And would you be interested in coming to work with me again? And I was like, absolutely. I mean, she's one of those leaders that I always tease her and say I would follow her anywhere because she's Isn't it just, great when someone says, hey, I really need you. Can you come? Yeah, it, yeah, totally. And I'm just like, okay, when can I start? But it, uh, it worked out great. And so, yeah, just really happy that we were able to, our, our paths crossed again in a professional manner, which was great. Yeah. That's why, listener, you keep in touch with people, you network, you don't burn bridges, like every, it's a small world. So So true. It it really, really is. You're absolutely right on that, Emily. And so tell me about the, were there similarities between the jobs? Like, oh, like I've done this before. Like I know how to do this part of chief of staff. And somewhere it was like, whoa, okay, this is way different, different company, different team. Tell me about the comparison. Yeah. So I think for me in the beginning, it was just like with any job, there's there's a learning curve, obviously. And so it was learning about the business. It was, it was similar, but it was obviously different. And so new players, new team. So it was just kind of that first few six months or so, it was kind of feeling my way around. Who's who? And who do I go to for this? And what's this person and this team responsible for? And so it was just kind of like feeling my way around and, and learning and just taking it all in. And then, yeah, a lot of it, so many similarities. I mean, obviously, it's it was a a learning jump for me, which is one of my strengths, actually, which I'll probably talk about later. But so it was very motivating for me to to learn all these new things. And but I leaned back into the things that I learned at my previous uh, role with her. And I think what helped me honestly most is I I knew her style. I knew what yeah. what she needed, what she wanted, what she's looking for. And you just it's it's that part of that chief of staff principal relationship where 
you know, you you just learn what their style is and you're able to kind of hone in on that. And so I think that was really helpful for me having worked with her before. I wasn't trying to come in brand new, learning, working with a new leader and trying to figure out their leadership style and how they do things. I was already accustomed to that. And so I think that was really helpful for me um, and beneficial with the transition uh, because I knew her. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of learning to be done and kind of figuring out where things are at and what what needed my attention versus just kind of understanding what her priorities were at the time. So, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it when new chiefs of staff come in, I have chiefs of staff who it's a new role entirely at that company. They don't know their principal. They don't know the company or industry or like the internal. And it's just like this. It's a it's a tall task. Right. So I think you had at least one piece or advantage in there where you knew your principal and you knew her work style. And I was wondering because you knew that you were still learning the rest of the leadership team and your colleagues and all of the rest, but could you translate what your leader was saying to others right away and like help them understand, here's here's what she wants to have happen there? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like so much of my role is is a lot of that. I mean, even today, it's it's being able to translate, okay, here's what I know she's looking for and thinking about it in a different way to help them see things like this is maybe, have we thought about doing it this way? Or this is, she's empowering us to really come up with this, whatever that deliverable is. And so it's it's a lot of taking what I know is kind of in her head and being able to translate that to the team so that they're able to also see what she's looking for. So yeah, I think that's a, a big piece of my role. And I know she's really big on self-development and self-awareness and all these things. And one of the first things in our interactions, which you, you sent me your Clifton Strengths program, I was like, here and learning was at the top, which I was like, yeah, not surprising at all. So tell me a little bit about how how those types of assessments are used in your org. Yeah, I I love all those like assessment type stuff. But this one was probably honestly one of my favorites because it Honestly, it was just really insightful for me because of my different career paths that I took that I was kind of alluding to earlier. I honestly, for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I thought I was kind of weird. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this person, I started out in social work and then I went into like IT and then project management and now this like strategic type role. And so I always kind of thought that I was the weird one and I didn't embrace that. And so one of the things that the Clifton Strengths Assessment, which we completed as a leadership team um, in January of this year, what what I got out of that was that's who I am. Like it really made sense to me. And so it takes the the assessment takes what your top strengths are as far as like executing and communicating and relationship building and strategic thinking and like all those kind of different domains. And it kind of ranks you. Okay, what are you innately really good at versus what are your they call them navigation areas. So it's like the kind of development opportunities. And and it helps you see that it's okay that you're not good at those, but it, you, you learn to lean into what you're really, really good at. And so when I, when I filled it out and I got my results back as a learner and I was reading kind of the what that meant, it was just like a light bulb went off for me. I was like, my my life makes sense now. Like that motivates me to learn new things. And so it just made sense like why I kind of switched paths into my career kind of earlier on and kind of got me to where I am today because I I love to learn. I'm always like reading leadership books and listening to podcasts and and things like that. And so it it was just so insightful. So what I appreciate about my leader is she really also is all about helping us lean into our strengths and helping us not just to understand them, but also to use them. And so we talk a lot about 
the the strengths in, as a leadership team. And actually, one of the things that she implemented about a year, a little over a year ago, was something we uh, call Coaching Fridays. And so it's a forum that she created where the leaders come and we we practice our coaching with whether it's challenge, challenging situations or executive presence or strategic thinking. I mean, the, the whole topics just kind of range, but it's it's a safe space for the the team to come together and and kind of really hone in on those strengths and those skills so that they can take that away and apply them on their team and kind of help empower and and grow their team um, as well. So it's been it's been a really great journey for that. We like I said, she started it over a year ago. And so it's something that I've stepped into and kind of am facilitating. So just to now. jump in, just to jump, I'm really interested in that piece. So is that you said every Friday and is it like an hour long? Does someone lead it? Is there a question or topic? Yeah, great question. So it's it's every other week for an hour. And so I typically lead it, but we do a lot of like breakout sessions where we have we do a lot of self-awareness exercises like Gosh, I'm trying to think of a couple we did, like understanding your why. And we practice a lot of like active listening. And we did one on like spheres of influence and like figuring out what things you can control versus what things you can't control and learning to let go of those things that you that you can't control. And so, so yeah, it's it's basically we I took a survey of our leadership team and I'm like, hey, what what's important to you? What do you want to get out of these coaching Friday sessions? Like what topics do you want to? talk through and kind of learn and kind of practice on. And so that survey came back and got a lot of great feedback on, hey, I want to learn about this or can we talk about this? And randomly I'll get like when I ever an email like, hey, can we add this topic to Coaching Friday? And so it's been great because it's it's very interactive. Usually the format of it, like I spend like the first like 10 minutes just introing the topic, kind of what it is, why it's important in leadership. And then we usually have some sort of a breakout session where we get into smaller groups and kind of um, coach each other and practice those coaching skills so that they can ultimately take that away and use it with with their teams. Wow, that sounds amazing. I think it's it's amazing that you and your leader and your team have dedicated that time to do these things. And it sounds like, is it with your leadership team? Is it open to any member of the leadership team? Is, is it's it actually, yeah, it's um, anybody that's a people manager. So um, it's her direct leadership team. And then there's some managers as well that also um, have direct reports. And so they they come as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been great. And I will say that we as a team make this a priority. We, we have the support from, from our leadership, like, Hey, we, we want you to prioritize this. It's development opportunities. It's a way to be a better leader. And so I appreciate that, that we as an organization and we as a team really prioritize that for, for the leadership team. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear about Coaching Friday. Just like my ears perked up when I was like, what? What is that? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And then yeah. Clifton Strengths and there's others. I I did DISC for the first time, the DISC assessment. Oh, and, yeah, I did that too. Yeah. Right. And I thought of myself as weird as well. I was like, I'm kind of like this ragtag, like have all these different experiences and they don't, it's kind of like the island of misfit toys is where I live, but it really distilled down, okay, here's your strengths, here's your communication style, here's your work style, here's how you can think about working and interacting with other styles. And it just kind of put a, like put a frame around it. Like, oh, okay. It's, it's the same information, but it's just situated in such a way that it makes sense now. And I can resonate with what you said where it's like, oh, I get it. Like it makes sense now. So I I would recommend. Yeah. I remember I did that for, I did a disc assessment for our leadership team and 
everyone was blown away. It was freakishly accurate. Yeah. Everyone was reading their description was like, this is like my autobiography right here. So I, know. I was it's so crazy yeah. how accurate those things are. I mean, they're just it's amazes. It amazes me. Yeah, I would use them. I would use them for self-awareness. And one of the things that, that DISC does, I think Clifton does it too in its own way, but DISC does the what's your natural style? So like, how do you show up like on the couch watching Netflix? And then uh-huh. what's your adapted style, which is like, how do you show up at the office? Because you think that's how you need to show up to be successful. And and it's not like a good or bad thing. It's just notice this gap, because if it's high or if it's a big gap, you're using a lot of energy. So just just be aware of that and say, is it worth it, me spending that energy? Sometimes it is, because sometimes you're in a toxic environment or whatever that you have to have to do what you have to do. But sometimes it's like, oh, actually, no, I can cool my jets on that a bit and just show up as me and be more authentic, use less energy, and people respond to authentic people anyway. So I'm, that's so true, Emily. Like, I actually was thinking about the disc years ago when I took it. And comparing that to the Clifton strengths, and uh, we've talked a lot about authenticity, like within Coaching Fridays at, at our team. And one of the things that we I remember talking about was like that natural self versus that adaptive self, and it it morphs into the whole authenticity stuff. And it's just so it's so important in leadership. So yeah, I, that's it's fascinating. I know that's big to you because you and your leader. I think spoke at a panel at Johns Hopkins. I think it was an internal panel on authenticity. And so I was wondering why why that was such a big topic for you and your leader. And also, what are the benefits of, of focusing on that? And what are some of the challenges of having people show up authentically in their work? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. So we we did a women in leadership panel back in the summer at Johns Hopkins Health Plans. And so it was something that my leader, it was her idea. She wanted to really highlight women in the workplace and the struggles that we face and the challenges that we face and also being celebrated for who we are. And oftentimes you might exactly what you were saying earlier, Emily, like, have you ever been told you should be more X or less Y, whether it's be more assertive or less emotional or whatever, fill in the gaps. But when it's like, why can't I just be myself? And so we wanted to have a platform. We're really big on like culture and diversity and inclusion. And so we were just like, this was, and it was, it was the month of like celebrating women's history. And so we're like, this is kind of a perfect opportunity. And so um, there was four of us um, on the panel and yeah, it was all about, it was just kind of an open conversation around what, what does authenticity mean and and how important is that in leadership and especially being a woman in the workplace and just being open and being vulnerable to sharing, hey, there's challenges that we face and it's, we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should talk about it and be open. That's how we can kind of progress and, and move forward. And, and so it was just a really, really insightful, the, the things that the panelists shared because it, you figure out who you are, you learn about others and their struggles that they face. And a lot of it's the same same challenges, different workplaces or things like that. And so it was just a, a really powerful forum to kind of raise awareness for that topic around just just leaning into being your authentic self as a woman in the in the workplace, because we we do have a voice and we do matter. And it's being being more acceptable to that. And women have a seat at the table and we should be there. There's no reason why we can't. And so it's, but there's a lot of struggles and challenges, obviously, to to get there for a lot of women. And so just being open and talking about them, having that 
chance to, to just share those experiences with other women. It was just, it was really empowering. It was a great, it was actually one of our larger events that we had as far as attendance wise. So it was definitely a topic that resonated with a lot of folks. And there was, there were several men there. It wasn't just, it was, it was open to anybody, not just the women. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think the authenticity conversation, the reaction I get from some people, not all people, but some people like, oh, that's soft. That's a nice to have. And it's like, hey, we talk about that gap between your natural and adaptive, how you self or style, how you show up. If, if you're having team members spend a whole bunch of energy filling that gap, they're not as productive in your organization. And they also are probably not bringing up as creative or original ideas as they could if you allowed them to be a little bit more themselves because they're probably scared to. And so you're missing out on like learning and development and um, product vision and all of those different things. And so I think as a chief of staff or a CEO or any leader, even if you don't officially lead a team, what are you doing to help people be authentic in in the workplace and show up as just themselves. Not to say that people <laughs> need to show up in their PJs right off right. of the Netflix couch or whatever, but there is there is some boundaries there. But and that doesn't mean you're not making people accountable or holding people accountable, but having them be comfortable when they when they show up and they're giving all the attention to the things you want them to give attention to. I think it sounds like you as chief of staff and your leader are very aware and kind of attuned to that. And I pro- I, I suspect that it it uh, helps you and, and the team. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, it's it's so interesting because we, we also want to create a safe space to fail and make mistakes because that's how we learn. And so it's being, being okay to fail and, hey, I made a mistake and, you know, how I learned from this. And, and so it's it just being able to be yourself and sharing, hey, if something pops up that, um, I'll tell you a quick story, though, about yeah. that is I so one of my fears that was reflected in my disc report, by the way, was I don't like to be wrong and especially wrong in front of people. So I don't uh-huh. like being, quote unquote, caught making a mistake. And so that was like my greatest fear, like a visceral, yeah. like very deeply held fear. Yeah. And so I would I would hide all of my when I made a mistake, I would try to hide it or I would try to make it so I didn't make a mistake. Yeah. Uh, I would do that. And what I found when when I flipped the script on that and I stood up in front of my team, I was the, leading the team meeting and said, hey, here's something last week where I messed up and here's what we're doing about it. And thanks, Jessica, for picking up this lack or catching that thing. I saw people's faces light up like, wow. oh, cool. Like, well, no problem because I do this all the time. Or like, hey, don't worry, we got your back. It just changed the dynamic in that room in such a positive way. And I was like, whoa. Like I've been trying to avoid that my whole life and and there it is being really powerful in that moment. So yeah, Yeah, that's, that's my, that's one of my stories for it, but. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's being able to admit our mistakes. And like you said, it, it allows people to see we're all people and we all make mistakes and it's okay. And nobody's perfect. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you, Emily, that being able to share those moments, you kind of develop that culture of, okay, yeah, like it's, it's okay if I made this mistake. We're a team. It's, it's okay. We're going to, we're going to get through it. And I think one of the measures of a chief of staff or like a success of a chief of staff or CEO is, are people allowed to make mistakes? Are they celebrated for it? And basically do people rally? So if someone, oh, okay, so John like missed this. He said that in the Slack channel, if people rally to him and like, okay, let me do this. Let me help you this way. That's one culture and like a 
a blame game or pointing fingers like, no, it's not my fault. It's your fault. It's someone else's fault. It's yeah. not mine. You can tell what kind of team you have just by just by those types of those types of tells. Lee, I agree. Since you've been a chief of staff twice at two different organizations, what would you say to someone who's maybe going into that role for a first time or maybe a new company to get prepared to be a, to ch- a chief of staff? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I would tell them really develop a relationship with your leader, or your principal that you're supporting. Get to know them, get to know what's important to them, what's important to the organization. Start developing those connections and that network, whether it's the leadership staff or the the stakeholders that you're going to be working with. Developing that trust and that positive rapport, I think right out of the gate is is so important for, for a new chief of staff. Um, and just kind of learning the lay of the land and 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 being yourself. And I think, honestly, asking a lot of questions. If you don't understand or if you don't know something, you don't understand something, it's OK to say, hey, can can you can we meet offline and you can tell me a little bit more about this? I would love to hear more about it or or whatever that the case may be. But just not being afraid to ask questions, because ultimately it will only help you to become a better chief of staff in a better positioning for you that you're supporting for your principal, your leader, the team as a whole. So yeah, I think that would probably be my my advice. And, and the, building that those connections and those relationships are just so essential. I think that is just, I always come back to that. I think it's all about relationship building and getting to know others, not just in a professional manner, but what do they like to do outside of work and what's important to them and just getting to hear hear more about who they are. Yeah, I heard, I think it was an NBA coach talk about when I get recruits on, I can't be asking them to do something for the first time on the practice court. Like when I'm yelling at them or blowing the whistle, it can't be the first thing they hear out of my mouth. And so when you were describing building relationships and asking questions, it kind of reminded me of that of that philosophy. But I, I think day one, as a chief of staff, you've got to build those connections and build up those relationships. That's like your job day one. So start exactly. start early and often those. And you mentioned kind of asking questions and asking for all offline or one-on-one conversations. Is there anything else that you would suggest or you did yourself maybe the first or second time you're chief of staff to help build those relationships? I did a lot of one-on-ones and I it was kind of what I call like a discovery phase yeah. where what's 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 important to you and what are your challenges? I wanted to hear where people's pain points were because that was that was an area for me that I could start getting more information and drawing out of because then I started could see a theme like, hey, I've met with several people throughout the org and this pain point keeps coming up. And that was good information. So, hey, maybe this is an area that we need to focus in on. Or how can we better support you and in, in your team, whether it's talking with stakeholders and customers and things like that. And so I think having those one-on-ones, whether if it's formal or meeting for coffee or having lunch or something, just developing those those one-on-one conversations and just kind of asking those questions was really, really valuable uh, for me as I was kind of learning the, more about the role and about the business that, that I was in. And so I think that also is is really helpful just to kind of have that discovery phase where you're just kind of asking a lot of questions. Where where are the challenges they see and that they, what keeps you up at night? What gives you heartburn? All those types of questions. I think those are always good to ask. So you can kind of get a better understanding of where there might be opportunities for improvement. Yeah. 
And what I didn't hear in all of that is, we're going to do this now. Now that I'm here, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. That's that's probably not your not your best bet going in there. But exactly. thank, you, yeah. right. thank you for sharing that. And then I know that after you get off the ground and you build these relationships, like you're being pulled in a million different directions. You've got competing priorities. You've got things that are were high priority and now something's even higher type of thing. So what are some some ways or tools that you use to kind of keep yourself on track and stay organized or, or manage your time? Yeah, I'm a huge OneNote fan. My life is like in OneNote. I have like tabs for for all my to-dos and reference information and leadership type stuff. And so I'm a huge OneNote fan. So I I would be in trouble if I lost access to that. But also my my leader and I have a shared OneNote. And so it's, oh. yeah, it's a place where I keep track of her priorities and with her to-dos and her and I both have access to it. And so we can go in, it's real time and see, hey, this is what's on the docket for this week or whatever that looks like. And so I keep track of my goals in OneNote. I keep track of our, our team goals, obviously the org goals, my leader's goals. And so that helps to orient me like, okay, this is, is, is everything kind of tied back to this, making sure that we're working on the right things. So that's been definitely helpful for me, which is kind of keeping everything organized. Another tool I love is PowerPoint. So I create a lot of uh, executive decks and preparing for leadership on sites and things like that. And so PowerPoint's kind of my my go-to as far as getting a summary ready and what is my audience, what do they care about? What's What do I need to push to them so that they can make business decisions off of things like that? So Really love PowerPoint too. Outlook, obviously, probably a lot of chiefs of staff, they have the color coding, the organization piece. But yeah, basically, when I within my to-do list, I prioritize. So every week I kind of look at, okay, here's here's my list of, let's say, 10 things that I need to, that, that are on my plate. What are the most, the top three things that I have to get done this week? Or kind of understanding that for my leader too. Like, what are, what are her priorities? What do we need to make sure that we're moving on this week? And coming up with a plan of, okay, here's how we're going to tackle that. So that, that's that worked really great for her and I. But yeah, I would say OneNote is kind of my my go-to for uh, for things like that. I definitely would be lost without it. <laughs> I know a lot of people like OneNote. Yeah, for sure. And then have, since you've worked with your leader twice now, are there any memorable requests that have come that are like, what is that? Or like, that's super challenging or that sounds odd. Just any any fun ones that's like, oh, I guess I'm chief of staff now. I guess I guess I'm on point for that. I am. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I would say that every day is different. And so it's just it's a variety. Some some days my focus is on strategic type stuff and planning for a leadership on site versus the next day I might be kind of in the weeds a little bit more trying to figure out, OK, what is this data telling me and what's the story here? And so I, I think that's the uniqueness about the role that I love is there's no two days that are the same. And so I'm constantly doing different things or figuring out a way, a better ways for improvement or efficiency wise. A lot of that uh, comes to mind. And ultimately, my goal as a chief of staff is I want to help the team and my leader to shine. And so how can I how can I best put my foot forward so that we can meet those objectives for our organization and for our team and doing a lot of that chief of staff strategic type stuff in order to prep them for that so that we can meet our goals and kind of execute out on the vision. You will definitely not be bored as chief of staff. I was I was talking to someone who is 
thinking about the role. And she was, I was like, why are you thinking about going to a new role? And she was like, well, I just like, I get bored a lot and I just don't want to be bored. And I was like, chief of staff is for you. That's the role. Exactly. You can say a lot of things about the chief of staff role. Boring is not one of them. Definitely not. Definitely. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. Very cool. So bonus question for you. If you could create a chief of staff themed cocktail, what would some of the ingredients be? Oh, gosh, that is such a great question. So my husband and I actually recently went out uh, to dinner and they had a like the holiday cocktail uh, list out for on their menu. And one of them was holiday sangria. And I used to not be a sangria fan, but this one had like, I don't know, eight different ingredients in it. And it was, it was so good, but it had it had wine, it had apple brandy in it, and it had like four different fruits in it. It had cinnamon and just this whole like concoction. It was just, it was so good. And it wasn't too sweet, which I was like, oh, it might be too sweet. But I would say a sangria type cocktail because <laughs> it's, it has a little bit of everything in it, which kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. It's, it's a variety. It's not just wine or just beer or whatever that. Um, a little bite to it too, not yeah, too sweet. Exactly. Right. Right. So I would have to go with maybe a, a sangria just because of all the different things that make up that that drink. And I think that's representative of of what we are as chiefs of staff and <laughs> the role that we are. Awesome answer. I'm gonna end it on that one. So it's cheers, sangria. Cheers to cheers. you, Maddie. Yeah, Thank you so much it. for being on. It was a it was a pleasure talking to you. And I know everyone will get a lot out of this conversation. So thank you once again. Appreciate you. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me. I uh, appreciate you too. If you're not interested in gaining valuable knowledge and becoming a better leader, then by all means, don't subscribe. But if you're keen on becoming a highly knowledgeable, more successful and confident leader, then hit that subscribe button.